Hello, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live. Tonight, we got a special program for you, something we've never really done before. And let me set it up this way. Have you ever been with some good friends and found yourself in the midst of an awesome conversation and you think, gosh, we really should have had uh, cameras rolling for this or the audio rolling. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, maybe not. Maybe it was a little colorful. But the content was so good and you just wish you had that. Well, that's the nature of tonight's program. I have with me Drew Blazik. Say hi, Drew. Hi. There he is. So over the last few weeks, this is what the precipitated this. Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we've always been living, hopefully, with this awareness that God could return at any time. In Scripture, we're given the image of the ten virgins. In Thessalonians, you have the passage that both speaks of, we know not the day nor the hour, but you also have that passage that kind of gives us that image of, but you look in the horizon and you see the clouds forming, and you know the storm is coming. So given that backdrop, for the last 2,000 years, we've been waiting in anticipation, but in the last decade in particular, leading up in greater frequency up to this very day, have been innumerable apparitions, if you will, as well as visionaries speaking to the nature of the imminence of the coming of the kingdom. And so tonight we want to explore a little bit of that. We want to have a conversation about the urgent nature of the kingdom and are we, are we seeing what God wants us to see and are we responding? So, Drew, why is he here? Because we, we, he's very attuned to this. We should not just take everything that is given to us and presume them to be true. But we should give particular deference to those revelations that are approved by the church. Those things that our church teaches are um, not contrary to public revelation. So there's public revelation, which is scripture. It's the deposit of faith, that which we are obliged to believe in. Then there's private revelation which is within that context, special revelations throughout history that are given as a gift. And those to which the church again says, these are not contrary to the faith, we ought to pay some attention to. And all the more, if there's a multitude of these sorts of revelations that are sort of pointing in the same direction. So you hear Drew's phone blinging, you'll hear our glasses clinking. You're just, we're welcoming you in the conversation. The scene is my living room, we got a candle lit, and I'll leave you just with this punctuation mark before we dive into this. It is so important, men, women, dads and moms, that we're attuned to the what is being communicated from heaven. Heaven is calling, that we're attuned to what heaven is saying, and that we are responding, honestly, looking at our souls, looking at our marriages, looking at our relationships, and really earnestly surrounding ourselves with the kind of people who share that vision, that response to the heart of God in this day and this moment. That's what I want. That's what Steph and I are about. That's what the Blazics, Drew, and his wife, Jesse, and innumerable other couples in greater frequency are saying, I want to be around godly men and women who are about the heart of the Father, who are about the kingdom, who are about holiness, not just getting to heaven, but getting heaven in us and living it now. So share with us, you know, what you have learned and experienced um, in the last few weeks. About a month ago, I heard, uh, I was doing research on some stuff, and I heard of a term that's called the illumination of conscience. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I didn't know at the time, but some saints have experienced it. And it's uh, something where you would see yourself as God sees you. And what's that connected to? The final judgment. And some saints have seen themselves. St. Faustina saw herself as her smallest sins and the pain it's caused Christ. And mm. um, through that, I guess when I saw that, there's something called illumination conscience, which they call the warning. 
that it's God's last miracle in a sense, or God's last warning for humanity of the track that we're going. Um, so that, that's where I started from. So I was doing a bunch of research, this documentary and YouTube about it. Um, the girls of Gar and Bindel, it's a Marian apparition that happened in the 1960s, which I never heard about. And I did, I watched the documentary, I saw some other footage. There's a miracle to show on there. And there was that message that was talking about that. Um, but before that, uh, why is God giving that message? Mm. And you can go all the way back to Fatima, which is the great chastisement that Mary warned the Fatima girls of if men don't turn their ways and repent, do reparation, do sacrifices for sinners. If men don't change in a greater number, there will be a great chastisement, a great judgment. Before that, there will be a great warning for a game changer, if you will, for men to change their ways. Mm. And that's what every, and if you look at it, and this is what I heard a lot of people say, and you can do the research on it, every seer, mystic, stigmatist, all the ones who are speaking about it are speaking about this great chastisement is coming upon the world very soon. So, Drew, let's just... uh talk about chastisement and the nature of that word and what it means from a perspective of God's desire for us in relationship with us. So hold that thought for a second. For our listeners, just so you know, Drew is a convert to the faith. He and his wife are relatively new converts. Drew, um, just give us a little bit of a background, Drew, so our listeners really understand this has particular uh, force because you did not grow up in the Catholic tradition and an understanding of private revelation and Our Lady and, and revelation, revelations and that sort of thing. Just, just trace for us a little bit of your background for our listeners. I grew up in a lot of different churches, First Assembly of God, uh, charismatic churches. To, I remember we went to a Methodist church, non-denominational. But one thing I do appreciate my parents did, and my mom always put it on my heart to read the Gospels. I always fell in love with the Gospels mm-hmm. without interpreting it into a certain tradition. Um, so then... Doing my research over the years, I found out uh, justification that all the churches I was attending was incorrect. The Catholic Church has seven extra books than my Protestant Bible, so I did research on that. And um, from theologically to intellectually to miracles, I realized it was a true church. So in 2016, I converted, and my wife converted. And we went to a Lutheran church at the time, and then she converted the next year. Yeah, so it's been a great uh, always continuous learning. One thing I did learn about it was being in a Protestant church, I felt like I knew 95% of stuff. Mm. Their the- theology, joining the Catholic church, I realized I only know about 2%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, just a quick point on this also for anybody who's listening. Truth matters. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And yes, he desires us to encounter him. He desires us to experience him. He took on flesh and blood for that purpose, to be tangible. He gives us the sacraments, most notably John 6, right? The Eucharist. It's inescapable to read that and not recognize what Jesus truly meant, much less to a study, folks, who are listening. I just encourage you with an open heart and an open mind to uh, understand what did the early church understand about the Eucharist, again, in John 6. And why that in particular? Uh, Because Jesus punctuates it, verily, verily, I say unto you, Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no life within you. So any of our wonderful uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are not Catholic and who earnestly desire to, to attend to truth, especially life-saving truth, 
It doesn't get more punctual than this. Let that be a door to at least consider God's um, invitation. So truth does matter. And in this day and age, let's just punctuate this too. When uh, there's so many people who, I don't know, regard themselves as their own vicar. Vicar literally means representative. So many who think that their own feeling or their own you know, insights to scripture are authoritative. Well, where does that leave us if that's the principle of approaching truth? That my own personal interpretation, my own feeling outside of, of the body that is the church from the very beginning, will you end up with our circumstances today of over 35,000 denominations? God, yes, he wants our hearts at the very heart of this. We don't want to lose that. But just a little not inconsequential note, if we're after the heart of God, if we want to know the truth that he revealed, um, if we believe in the authority of the written word, we must believe in the authority of the context that gave us that word, which is the church, 1 Timothy 3.15, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So a little bit of a nerd side note, but it shouldn't be. Uh, we really ought to be attendant to truth, and that's uh, a big part of this conversation. All right, to the word chastisement, Drew, you kind of set us up to convey that there um, is an alignment. There's an alignment of a lot of these revelations that speak of this warning, that speak of this illumination of conscience, and um, particularly this chastisement. What does chastisement mean? I'll say what it, uh, first what it doesn't mean. It does not mean when you have economic collapse, if you have famines, if you have um, consequences from governments because of our actions or sinful actions of abortion, homosexual marriage, whatever it is, or the unrest we have, that's natural consequences. So a chastisement from God is a divine chastisement. Um, and I'm not a, you know, a theological expert on it, but if I had to connect two things in the Old Testament of chastisement, it would be like the flood mm. would be a chastisement. Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from heaven, would be a chastisement. So that's a direct divine inter, uh, interference or judgment on things, not a natural consequence. So, uh, Drew, I want to unpack um, more of these private revelations. Uh, tell us a little bit about the alignment in frequency that you've experienced over the last year, of, of what's come out over the last years in particular. Let's start with Fatima first. Mm -hmm. Fatima, if you, most Catholics understand uh, the story. If you're not Catholic, there's a great miracle. Um, and I heard some priests talk about it, that it's, there's only been five cosmic miracles in the history of mankind. You mm -hmm. go in the biblical times, and then you have Fatima, where the, earth, the sun was dancing, and then the sun looked like it was coming upon the earth. Everybody thought it was the end of the world, and they're confessing their sins, and they thought um, it was judgment. So what does that symbolize, that miracle? is It symbolizes fire from heaven. It symbolizes judgment. It sim symbolizes purification. Um, and the power of what Christ gave his mother, that she is the queen mother. Um, then you go all the way to the chast, um, Aikida. Look Let at me pause you a second. Um, so Fatima folks took place in 1917 in Portugal. Uh, Mary appeared to these three children. She had revelations. Drew, if you can speak maybe a little bit to, to what were her messages, but to punctuate that heaven, it, you know, is not playing games. You had this epic miracle, which was witnessed by over 60,000 people. It made headlines 
of newspapers back then. Unfortunately, today, there's way too much ideological control that keeps important news like this out of the front pages because it has been happening, these sorts of, not to that extent, that was epic, 1917, but there have been very notable bonafide miracles that have taken place, and unfortunately, they haven't been reported. You've got to check them out. But folks, yes, please look into Our Lady of Fatima, the miracles of uh, 1917, and we point to them because the nature of the prophecies um, continue to unveil to this day. So tell us a little bit about those prophecies. Um, so you have the three mysteries of Fatima, or the three secrets. Uh, the first one was uh, Mary gave the vision of hell and as where poor sinners go. And one of the girls, so they saw the vision, it was two girls and a boy. Um, I think the youngest was six, mm. if I say it correctly, and oldest was maybe ten. Um, they saw the vision of hell, they saw snowflakes fall into hell, and they said, what are those? Is the uh, poor sinners. Be-? And she said specifically, they're going to hell because no one is there to pray for them. Mm. So it shows, and no one's there to do sacrifices for them. Um, so she showed that vision, it was only a brief second, or a brief moment, they said, and they said it was so terrifying they would have died if it wasn't for Our Lady. And then the next one was um, um, she gave the prophecy, because this was in 1917, and the war, World War I was going to end. It was, was going to end in a couple months, which it did. Mm-hmm. And then um, another message was that if men don't change their ways, it would be a greater war is about to happen, which was World War II. Mm-hmm. And then... There's the third message they 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 say, which wasn't officially given until nineteen or the year two thousand. And just a note, it was left out because every time Mary gives a message, she always gives an interpretation. We don't know what Mary said, mm. and there is a message that was released, um, but it is about the great chastisement. And you can look it up. It's it's. I don't want to say anything about it just because it's hard to interpret what it means, but. It's really about if men don't change their ways. And just know is that encyclicals from the popes in the early 1900s said that the world in the early 1900s was more evil. This is what the popes said. than the days of the flood. Mm. And I think it was, in, I don't remember what year, it was early 1900s encyclical um, by a pope that said that. If we think it was evil back then, look at look today. today. So, Drew, there was also some mention of the errors of Russia, I believe, in that particular apparition. Tell us about that. I forgot about that one. That's probably <laughs> the most important. I just watched the movie and they left it out. So oh, maybe, are you kidding me? And that's one of the okay. problems I had with the movie. They left that part out. Wow. It says, if we do not consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart, that the errors of Russia, and the girls thought it meant, they thought it was a woman. They didn't even know what Russia was. The errors of Russia was spread, spread around the world, which we know is communism, but it's not just an economic aspect to it. And a lot of people don't know this. Russia was the first country to legalize abortion in the year 1920. Mm. The first country ever to do it. Wow. That's communism. We're, we're ending up to the 100th year on it. I forgot what month it was. I know wow. we're getting close to the 100th year that I think it was 2 billion people have been killed from abortion. Wow. The errors of Russia, if we can't say that spread around the world, it's in Ireland now, Catholic Ireland. Uh, if people don't know this, also, when the Bolshevik Revolution happened, they um, made marriage illegal. You couldn't get married. Now, they reversed that. They saw the destruction. But if anybody knows what communism is, it's really the destruction of the family. Mm-hmm. They want to legalize divorce, which they did later in this country. 
America is the most prosperous nation, you could say, that has the errors of Russia in it. And I heard one priest talk about it because we're propped up by technology. That's what's doing it. Uh, the errors of Russia will spread. And that was one of the promises that we see mm. to a global extent to most Catholic nations. We never thought that would happen. Wow. So just what's cool, folks, is as we're sitting here in our living room, chilling, having a conversation, I'm seeing the statue of Our Lady of Fatima that a beloved priest, Father Levis, gave us at our wedding, Stephanie and I. And uh, God rest his soul, pray for him. He's one of the earliest presenters on EWTN, and he's from Erie, PA. And uh, what's interesting about him is that as a very faith-filled priest back in the 70s and 80s, he was battling the... I should say, the corruption and toxicity that invaded the Catholic Church. Um, he set up a pontifical institute uh, in Gannon University in Erie, PA. Uh, many were coming throughout the country, and um, I'll just say he was outgunned. So he's kind of iconic in himself, in his fidelity as a godly priest, speaking on EWTN, he'd written a catechism, um, and he was outgunned by the toxicity of an academic atmosphere contrary to the Catholic faith, I must say, with a lot of confusion. Often it's not just complete contrary. Uh, the enemy appears with some good and, uh, and twists it. So I just I acknowledge that. Back to Fatima. Um, so, Drew, uh, we have a pandemic, an intellectual toxic pandemic of young minds and unfortunately even older ones who have some familiarity with the evils of communism, but young minds that have no idea. How, how do young people, you're a teacher, you're an economist, obviously familiar with theology. How do young minds perceive socialism and communism today? And, you know, what, what would you say to them about the, uh, the danger of this philosophy, this atheistic-rooted philosophy? They view uh, communism as, I would say socialism, as uh, government influence as a Nordic country. They, they think that a Nordic country is a socialist country. You may have heard of that. But actually, a Nordic country, if you look at Norway... Uh, uh, Finland, all those countries, those are the most economic free. They're more free than we are. If you mm -hmm. want to start a business there, what they have is they just have something that's high taxes for government programs. That's not socialism. Socialism is where the government controls the means of production. But more importantly, communism, socialism controls every part of life. They want to have the breakdown of the family. They want to have where you're dependent on the government. And it's really a social um, collapse where the government is the savior, and we don't look upon God, we look upon the government. And just to know, I mean, for any young people that think it's a good idea, if you take all the martyrs for 2,000 years, the 1900s seen more murders than 2,000 years combined. Mm. And that's because of the control that if you are not on board, and we see this today in America, not just they'll cancel you in today's culture, they would kill you back then. Mm. We're talking about, mass killings. People talk about uh, things that happened back then. A couple thousand people may have died. We're talking about uh, Mao killed millions. Mm -hmm. We're talking about uh, Stalin killed 20 million. I mean, I think estimated 200 million people. That's more than the last 2,000 years combined. Wow. It's just uh, truly um, ought to <clears throat> open our eyes and uh, to be mindful that we're in a place now in the political landscape that I never would have thought we would have been to in my 52 years of life. I never would have thought that one of the major political parties would have been dominantly committed to socialistic ideals. 
which is a precursor, of course, to, to communism. The, the philosophical roots of communism are woven into socialism. And, you know, the front-running candidate we see pulled by those forces, even if you wanted to be more moderate, the influences we see are definitely pulling that major party in that direction. And uh, I don't know if, if, truthfully, many of those who support this or advocate this recognize the danger. You know, it's going to be the kind of thing where if, if they do take power, if they do have, um, if you will, control over the economic and political institution that we have right now, what does that look like five years from now, ten years from now? If we could only take a portrait of what it would look like if they had the full-blown, um, I don't know, ideals of their, of their platform and vision implemented, if we had the benefit of seeing what that looked like five or ten years from now, that would be awesome. It would be instructive. I think it would give us uh, all, you know, if you will, an awareness of what's at stake just from that standpoint. Anyways, we digress, digress a little bit, but I do think it is very important for us to understand what socialism is about, understand the danger that it is, understand the atheistic um, philosophy that is woven into it, and to find meaningful, effective ways to speak of it to uh, everyone in this culture, but I want to say particularly young people, to ask good questions and to engage in that conversation. Another topic, another time. Okay, so you queued up Akita. We were talking Fatima, uh, talking Revelations. Tell us about Akita. Um, so Akita was in the 1970s. Uh, Mary appeared to Sister Agnes in Japan, Akita. And her message, a lot of people say, because the third secret of Fatima is kind of hidden over the time. And if you want to know what the third message is, a lot of people say, just listen to Akita. Mm. And it's the same message. Men must uh, um, repent. We must make sacrifices for sinners. We must do reparation uh, for sins. Um, we must pray the rosary. And if men don't, and this is very important, um, mm. it's very bone chilling to read Akita. She said, God will chastise the world. And she says, God will send fire to the earth to purify the world. It'll mm. be fire from heaven. And that's directly from the connection of Fatima, of the sun coming down. Now you have Akita, and she's warning that. And if you ask me, everybody knows. Remember, the message of Fatima is not just a personal message. The message of Fatima was for the countries. It's the governments and us individually. Because mm. she asked for Russia to be consecrated. It's governments obeying the natural law, the uh, um, kingship of Christ, which we do not see. And if you look at it from the 1970s, today is much worse when we talk about the sins of the governments, the sins of mankind, how they're not paying any reverence to Christ um, today. And I just want to make a quick note we have to make, is that communism is the brainchild of the Freemasons. Mm. And I want to make this connection. Who are Freemasons? What does that even mean? Freemason is a secret society. So people say, well, they're not a big deal nowadays. Remember, back in Europe, it was Christ the King. It was Christendom. So it was a secret society because if you said what the Freemasons said back then, you would be rejected. You, you could not do it. So they met in a secret society, and they wanted to overthrow the kingship of Christ. And the Freemasons were the brainchilds of communism. But you have to go back to this, and this is very important, is that the French Revolution, in my opinion, is a precursor to what we are seeing mm. in a global sense. The French Revolution was a small uh, sense just for the country. And uh, just a couple facts. You can go big into it. French Revolution saw an increase in pornography. 
Yeah, we didn't have the internet, but they, it was an increase of pornography mm. back then. They legalized divorce. There was more babies being born out of wedlock before the French Revolution broke out than there'd be born into marriage. The collapse of society and traditions was uh, epic. The, the, um, now, they didn't get to achieve this. They wanted to decrease their population, which is... Malthusian. Malthusian uh, in the early 1800s. They wanted to decrease their population, but they, they believe in limited resources. They had to decrease it through things like abortion and other means of doing that. Do we see that in a global sense today? Let me pause you just on that note. Um, so decreasing population, there were a number of assumptions associated with that. Let's unpack that for a moment, because I do think that that idea, just going back to Genesis one twenty-seven, in his image he made them male and female. If we want to understand the heart of God's revelation to mankind. So to those of us who say, God, where are you? I want to see you. How are you manifest? Genesis one twenty-seven, an anthropological image, icon of God on this earth is man and woman together in marriage, imaging God. And so the attack on God and his image of mankind is going to always involve gender and sexuality. Now bringing it to the, the question of population, what is your sense as an economist of what was being proposed in the population reduction philosophies? I have a whole presentation on this. <clears throat> if you want to see a great article, type in the world uh, type in, uh, I don't say Google because I bing it. <laughs> type in the monster who fed the world mm. is, and so they taught back then we had limited resources and population got too uh, big. You have mass famine, you'll have wars for those resources. But what they didn't understand is that men's wants to survive and have a better life, we create technological advancements. Efficiencies. And there's a guy named Fritz Haber, mm-hmm. interesting character to find out. He created, uh, with his method, uh, um, fertilizer, synthetic fertilizer, mm. which fed the world. And that's what the article's about. And it's very important to see that technological advancements do make it better for society. Because the Pope's have all said that if we're in dire need and we're in poverty, it's hard to grow in virtue. It's very important mm. to have a good way of life. Um, but through that, uh, most economists agree that technological advancement, we are getting, just put in perspective, is if you take the actual dollar in the 1950s compared to today, so we're not taking the nominal, which is what you made in the 1950s, $15,000 was the average wage in about 1950 mm. of today's dollars. We make 58000 on average. Mm. Today is much better. It shows that technological advancements really help that out. So it was a misguided um, idea. Mm-hmm. On that, but I just got to connect the dot with the Freemasons and the French Revolution. With thanks Fatima. for bringing us back. <laughs> so this is very important. <laughs> is that Mary in 1917 said not to consecrate Russia? She said, "I will come and ask for the consecration of Russia." It's very important. Hmm. Let's go back to if anybody knows Saint Margaret Mary. She received the visions of the Sacred Heart of Christ. She asked. I'm sorry, Christ asked uh, 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 St. Margaret Mary to ask the King of France to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart of Christ. So she asked that. On the day, this is very important, I I don't have the date in front of me. On the date, so she asked the king, the king ignored it. The next king ignored it. Next king ignored it. And there was a great warning 
that Christ said you've got to consecrate. There's something happening. Because he saw what happened with the Freemasons, what they're about to do with the French Revolution. Well, the last king, I forgot his name, he did not consecrate it to the Sacred Heart. The hundred years to the day that Christ asked to be uh, France consecrated, the French Revolution broke out. Mm. To the day. Mm. I mean, I looked it up. It was to the day was asked. Okay, why is that important? Because... France, what happened there is what's happened globally. So what happened was Mary appeared to uh, uh, Sister Lucille, Lucy, in 1929 to ask for the consecration of Russia. In 1929, it's very important. It's 12 years later, 12, 12 years, years after later. Fatima. 1929. It did not happen. 1931, Christ, and you can look at her writings. So this is what she said. Jesus appeared to her in 1931. And he said he was very upset that the bishops did not consecrate Russia yet. And what that is, where the Pope and the bishops all come together and consecrate us um, by the power uh, of the church to consecrate a certain nation or consecrate uh, the world or whatever. And in 1929, she asked, 1931, Christ was very disappointed and said, and gave a warning. And the warning was, look what happened to France. He pointed, he, he told her that. So, in my humble opinion, mm. 2029 could be a very important date. Wow. Because that would be the 100th year from when Mary asked. Not Fatima, was 1917. She said, I will ask. But 1929 is the date of 100 years. And Christ gave the warning and said, look what happened to France. So, a couple of things that are very interesting here. Number one, why consecrate, right? Why does it take us humans here to act in a particular way, in such an epic way, that corresponds to your divine actions. What's your thought on that? Man, I haven't studied a lot on it. But I know that we're asked to consecrate ourselves to the sacred heart of Christ. It's something, uh, what does it mean, consecration? It's a declaration that you make, but it's something you live out. It's something, like if you consecrate yourself to the sacred heart of Christ, if you truly want to live it out, you have to look at all the sins that are causing Christ's heart pain and suffering and make up sacrifices to help to console the sacred heart of Christ. But I think it's, as a global sense, I haven't really studied it as much. Sure. But I know as an individual, it's a way to be more united to Christ. So I'm kind of pressing for a theological understanding here to someone who is a very, uh, formerly very committed non-Catholic Christian, now Catholic. Because I do think that there is a deep insight here of God's desire Certainly it's throughout scripture, but now in the call to consecrate. And what is that insight? That God engages us in his plan of salvation. That he reveals to us certain things that he wants us to do. So let's make it clear, not just mechanically, form is sacred. Forms are sacred. Forms do matter. To engage our humanity in responding to God's plan does matter. Why do I need to, you know, go to mass? Why do I need to go to confession? Why do we need these sacraments? I can just connect with God privately. He knows my heart. Why the formality of consecration? Give us insight to that. That's something I've been studying a lot. It's consecration of the Sacred Heart of Christ. And it's something that in my spiritual walk, it's been amazing compared to what I've grown up. It's really an insight of how much Christ loves us, number one. It's an insight of to Protestants, I don't know if you would understand this, that Christ suffered, of course, in the Passion, but he's told many saints that the sins of mankind cause his heart today because it's so united to the church 
and the sacrament that it causes them great suffering today. And I highly recommend go to Amazon or uh, a bookstore and get a book on the Sacred Heart and just read the quotes of Christ mm. of how much um, sin is, causes him suffering. And we, and just like, because remember, he took a form of humanity. So we always think, oh, he's God. He doesn't need this. But he's still human. He's 100% human, which means when I'm suffering, I can console my friend when they're suffering. He's asking us to console his suffering for all the blasphemes, all the ingratitudes people have, all the sacrilege communions, because he is giving himself 100% to us. I don't know if they answered the question, but I know the consecration of the Sacred Heart. When you read the words of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary, and I don't have it written down here, I don't know how you can't love this lovable God. I mean, it's just like, it's bone chilling. Just read a quote, and it'll stick with you all day. So I think there's a key insight here, just to at least state it, and I stated it at the beginning in the introduction. If we believe in the authority of the written word, which we must if we are Christians, we must believe in the authority, right? Uh, inerrant, authoritative, inspired word of God. Those are the three adjectives that are given. Authoritative, inerrant, inspired word of God. We must believe in these. If we believe in that, we must believe in the context that gave us that word, which is the church. There's a reason why, for instance, the gospel of St. Thomas, the Gnostic gospel, wasn't included. It took an authority to say, this, these four Gospels will be included, this one will not. But even more, so one is an authoritative interpretation of how we understand that scripture. How did they understand in the early church that truth? We need to punctuate that for 2,000 years, the deposit of faith, that, that which the church has faithfully taught has not changed, it's only developed. John Cardinal Henry Newman, the, the, the new saint in the church, was not Catholic. He battled with a lot of these theological questions, as have hundreds of those who are not Catholic. Many pursuing truth rigorously, attentive to the revelation of truth. They were anti-Catholic, based upon truth, asking every question that could possibly be asked, came into the fullness of the truth by recognizing, in one simple phrase, many people have misconceptions of the Catholic Church. And if I were to have those conceptions, I wouldn't be Catholic either. All that to say to anybody who's listening, either in the church or outside the church, to understand history is to cease to be Protestant. I mean, that's, that's not insensitive. That's just the, the truth. To be a student of history is to cease to be Protestant. So, Drew, what you're explaining to us is within that contour of public revelation, consistent with our church, uh, uh, scripture, um, that we are receiving relevant revelation from God that we have to be attentive to that is speaking to this generation, awakening us in a particular way to the urgency of this particular moment. I want to ask you to speak to something else. This is a really vigorous, I know, kind of just classic way you and I speak and with some other brothers. The uh, exorcism of Emily Rose this morning with our brothers early in prayer and conversation, we were talking about this. Folks, you may know the movie, Exorcism of Emily Rose, you may know that it is based upon real, actual accounts of the exorcism and that the, in German uh, was the tongue that um, they heard the demon speaking through Emily Rose and it was actually recorded. So you could get online and if you wanted to be horrified, there are the actual audio recordings of the demons that the exorcist um, interacted with, if you will, in that, those contexts of exorcisms. And they're transcribed. So there's transcriptions of what the demons were saying. 
I think they are important to understanding what God desires. Again, heaven is speaking to us today. This took place in the 1970s, and I think they speak to somewhat of the the spiritual battlefield that we are facing today and uh, understood some of those seeds planted even in the 70s. Speak to that. Um, I remember I saw I saw a thing about that they had they had the actual recordings. So the person's name wasn't Emily Rose. It was I can't remember the name, and she was possessed. And they had the recordings of the demon speaking. You can listen to it. It's very kind of it's scary sounding. You hear the demon just speaking. It's in a foreign language. So if you read the quotes, and one thing I'd understand about an exorcism is that when when the priest has the authority, the the demon has to at a point speak the truth because God. Uh, forces the demon to speak truth. He can't. He can't in that moment with the priest with that authority. And the de- the quotes, I don't have it here, but I remember a couple of the quotes that the demon was saying was, and he wouldn't say Mary, he wouldn't say the mother of God, he would say the mother of the Nazarene, or the, I forgot how he worded it, but he said that, the, that lady compels me to say this. And he said, this quote such as, um, this is one of the most bone-chilling ones, was, if, you, if men only knew what eternity was, they would go before the blessed sacrament on the altar every day and pray for mercy. Mm-hmm. If they only knew what eternity was. Uh, they talked about the power of the rosary, which they hated. Mm-hmm. They talked about certain priests and bishops who they are on their side and certain bishops they hated. Um, they talked about different prayers and stuff. Um, and they hate, hate Our Lady. They and I heard this before. A demon is more fearful of Mary than God. Now that seems kind of crazy as I mm. say that. The reason Sounds is heretical. well, the reason is they know God is all all powerful, and they have a lot of pride. They're okay if God humbles them. Mm. They are fearful of a peasant woman that God gave the queenship of heaven that they're going to be humbled through this woman, a mere creature, a human being. That's because they're so prideful. They understand how great God is, but they do not like when the woman comes. And, and they talk about other exorcisms I heard about, that the power of the Hail Mary, and in Latin, they also, they just obey the priests automatically. Like they, they have to, at some point, have to obey through the authority of the church. That's very powerful. Folks, if you're listening, check it out. You could do a search on transcript. Exorcism of Emily Rose, you'll find, as Drew indicated, the name is actually Annalise Michael, A-N-N-E-L-I-E-S-E-M-I-C-H-E-L. There's a lot about it. It's very well documented. And uh, he's just giving you a snapshot of some of the revelations made through the demons in, in terms of their strategy, in terms of what was important to them. And you'll find that um, what was supremely powerful and is powerful is the Mass. And not just the Mass as we may want it to be, but the Mass as God revealed it to be, as God is himself, Jesus Christ. We are brought to the one and for all sacrifice of Christ. We're brought to that point in every Mass, the power to redeem the world for those of us who choose it. And every Mass is a participation in it. We are literally brought to the foot of Calvary. And, uh, and, and when that Mass is messed with, when it's diminished, when it's neutralized, um, it diminishes, if you will, our capacity to fight, our capacity to battle, our capacity to be transformed. So in the 70s, uh, you can intuit where this could go in another conversation, but how much of that transcendent uh, 
potent power of that encounter with Christ in the Mass, the transcendent power as God designed, has been neutralized up to this day. Uh, so it's really another conversation to be had, but it really comes out clearly in this transcript of Exorcism of Emily Rose. Let's turn back again to this central theme of these uh, apparitions through Our Lady's appearances, which uh, recorded more times in the 20th century than any time in the history of the world. And uh, speaking to us today, unveiling today, share with us some of the quotes. Um, so i got to make this connection. So we, what we did was we talked to that to Aikida. i got to make the connection. In 1950, Mary appeared. Or no, uh, Sister Lucy gave an interview, and she said, the final battle between Satan and God or Christ is going to be uh, between the family. This is 1950, in 1950s. And what do we see today? The destruction of the family. So I, I got to connect. And I'm going to go and I'm going to read some quotes. I got to go to St. Faustina. If anybody's familiar with St. Faustina, there's a lot of quotes that Christ visited her. It's about the, uh, the divine mercy, the era, the time of mercy. The popes mm. gave the time of mercy. And she, he did quotes such as, all who enter the gates of mercy, if you don't enter the gates of mercy, you will enter the gates of um, justice, mm. which is your sins are laid bare. Mm. Um, I always took that, if you, anybody who's familiar with the, uh, the diary, that the day of justice is coming up, and I always took it as the final judgment. It's coming up, the final judgment. I would like to suggest that the uh, St. Faustina, the judgment was the time of mercy, you think about it, is always, but there's a certain mercy because the world is evil and God wasn't chastising it, and the day of justice is the chastisement. That's going to happen. And when you read it in that context, it makes a lot more sense because we all understand the final judgment is the day of justice, but if you put it in light of what the popes have gave the time of mercy, and now the time of mercy is up, if you listen to all the mystics, they say it's up. Um, I want to read this, and this is going back to the warning. This is going back to the illumination of conscience. This is in the diary of St. Faustina. So Christ told her, before I come as the just judge, I am coming first as the king of mercy. And that's what we've seen. Mm. What does that mean? That the world is evil and God is given a certain amount of time to repent. That's mercy. And the world isn't repenting. Mm. Before the day of justice arrives, my interpretation, and that's the chastisement, there will be given to a people a sign in the heaven of this sort. And this is the illumination of conscience. She is one, maybe the most famous saint to have um, spoke about it. All light, and this is what the girls, and I really highly suggest to go to it, the girls of Gar and Bindel, the, uh, they saw the visions in the 1960s. It was the warning and the great miracle w which will happen in that year. And this is after some civil unrest. Um, God will give one last chance before the great chastisement. All light in the heavens will be extinguished. And this is what they taught to in the girls of Garmadel. And there will be a great darkness over the whole earth. Then the sign of the cross will be seen in the sky. And from the openings uh, where the hands and the feet of the Savior were nailed will come forth great lights which will light up the earth for a period of time. This will take place shortly before the last day. So, what this is saying, and this is what the illumination of conscience is, there will be a great, they say, something will happen in the sky, you'll see the cross, and you'll feel the pain of what Christ felt, mm -hmm. and the sins that we have committed that caused them great sin, mm -hmm. and our sins of what it affected other people. Mm -hmm. So if you committed a sin against someone exactly. and it destroyed their lives, oh. we're going to feel that. But that's a great or grace. Or neglect, right, Drew? 
not just what we do or to neglect, affect others, or we do not do. as parents, right? Yeah. We, we settled for entertainment or allow digital devices to our kids to worship at their th- those thrones and instead of maybe bringing them together and opportunities to connect them to Christ or where we put them in education systems when we knew they were being indoctrinated or experiencing the toxicity, drinking the Kool-Aid that was leading them to grave sin. Well, that was our neglect as parents that we are accountable for. We will be responsible for. And, but it's a great mercy because you have chance when you see it to repent and change. If This is the same thing you'll feel to find when you first die, your particular judgment. Because you're going to feel all the pain you cause other people, everything. Mm. But you will die in that state and there's no more changing. Mm. Forever you're stuck in there. And you'll accept that judgment forever. Mm. This is a great mercy. Um, the first, another saint is Edmund Campion, uh, 1540. To 1581, he said, uh, I pronounce a great day, not where uh, in the temporal where you should minister, but where in the terrible judge, and that means this uh, great judgment will see our sins, should reveal all men's conscience and try every man of each kind of religion. This is the great day of change. Mm. Blessed Anne Maria, she said, a great purification will come, come upon the world, preceded by an uh, illumination of conscience in which everyone will see themselves as God sees them. Um, another thing I want to note. The, so after the girls of Garden Bendel, again, you got to see that documentary. The girls were interviewed in the 1970s up to 1980, and they asked them what was in specific questions. They asked them, they said, this is what it appeared like. I want to read a couple quotes. Um, this is the question. You have said that when there are things that are the worst, then the warning will happen. How do you know this? Did the virgin tell you, uh, did you see it in a vision? This is what the girl said. The virgin said that the warning would come when conditions were at their worst. It wouldn't be just the persecution, not just the persecution either, because many people will no longer be practicing their religion. And here's another one. It's going back to uh, communism. They, the girls, when you read the documentary and stuff, it, they, it seemed to them, and other saints have talked about this, and mystics today, we're talking about very recent, I mean, there's tons of stuff, that communism will make a comeback. That's what they all see in the vision. And I don't, to me, this is big, you see it around the world. And this is what the girls saw in the 1960s. Uh, do you remember, this is the question, what the Blessed Mother said about the communist tribulation that it is to precede the warning? This is what they said. Now tell me if this seems like today. It would look like the communists would have taken over the whole world and it would be very hard to practice the religion. Remember, this is what they viewed the vision as. It mm-hmm. seemed, though, mm-hmm. for priests to say mass or for people to open the doors of the churches. She said this in an interview in 1970-something. The first time in the history the churches were shut. Now, we live in Toledo. There are still dioceses that the bishop has shut down confession. You can't practice your faith. Mm-hmm. You can't get the sacraments. There are areas. We're, we're in a better diocese that he's opened it up. We have a great priest where God I'm bless at. bless Bishop Thomas. Shout out. But there are bishops that have shut down everything. And if that prophecy is the doors, it appeared to them, the doors were shut. And you can't practice the faith. And that is right up to the time they said the great illumination of conscience will happen. Mm. In my opinion, we're at the doorsteps. Wow. So, folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. I am blessed to have this free-flowing conversation with my brother, Drew Blazik. 
as you can tell, he's uh, very informed. Uh, his heart for truth, his heart for the kingdom that impels him to uh, be up after his kids go to sleep and listen to podcasts and review the content that he reviews. And we have long conversations about these. And we want to surround ourselves by other men and women who are really absorbing and seeking truth to be formed by this. Um, just to, first of all, a word to um, all of you who are not Catholic or maybe are and asking, and let's shift into the end of this conversation, into this moment right now, you know, what am I to get out of this? You know, what, what is God saying to me? What are we to do? First thing I want to punctuate is John 17, Christ's uh, priestly prayer in the garden. John in particular, 17, where he speaks of unity. And this is just impressed upon my heart, this simple statement. When evangelicals rediscover their Catholic roots and Catholics rediscover their evangelical wings, will be one church lifting this world up to Christ. I do believe all of these things happening are uniting all Christians who are truly pursuing the heart of Christ rigorously. It's uniting us to respond faithfully to his heart in the fullness, not to pick and choose what we like or maybe what makes sense to us, but to really say, Lord, what did you reveal to be true? Because I want to pursue that, and I want to be surrounded by men and women who are pursuing that. So that's point number one. Point number two, let me set it up this way. We had a pretty heavy program tonight talking about these revelations. And uh, let's face it, um, what good would a doctor be if he saw the condition of a patient, uh, cancerous, dying, and he withheld the truth of that diagnosis, much less the prognosis of how they should respond to that. That wouldn't be a very good doctor. That would not be love. In fact, that would be the opposite of love. We're trying to communicate the truth. We're trying to communicate love. We're trying to pass along what heaven is saying to us for this day and this age, for this very moment. I might invoke Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If there's a degree of fear, let's not sidestep it and presume it doesn't exist because we're uncomfortable with it. What good does that do us? Let's, let's honestly consider what is God saying to us? What is heaven speaking and respond? So, Drew, on that point, how are you responding? What is, what is, uh, how is faith informing you and us to respond to these revelations? I think, as a Catholic, uh, one thing recommended was to do a general confession. That's something I highly recommend. I did it. It was a quick one, but I did it, and I felt... So great. Any sin you ever done, just com- mm. just confess it. Even sins you don't know if you confessed it before, and you're confused about it, do a general confession about every mistake you've made, and to tell God that through the confession of the priest, yes. um, and to be prepared for that great day. I mean, if it happens ten years from now, I could die tomorrow, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna have to face Christ, and I cannot change my ways. I have to be uh, prepared, and just to leave with a couple more quotes. This is like, I could put it into words, but this is what my heart is saying. Through these quotes, through two quotes of the girls, I want to say what Padre Pio said. Um, so what would occur on the day of the warning? This is what they said. And this, think about your, final, your, your particular judgment when you die. The most important thing about that day is that everyone in the whole world will see a sign, a grace, or a punishment within themselves. In other words, a warning. They will find themselves all alone in the world, no matter where they are at the time, alone with their conscience right before God, they will see, then they will see all their sins and what their sins have caused. And then the other one, can you tell us anything else about the warning? 
All I can say is that it is very close and that it is very important that we prepare ourselves because it will be a terrible thing. It will make us feel all the wrong we have done. Mm-hmm. And I just want to leave my last quote was Padre Pio. And uh, he said, Oh, blessed girl Zagara Mendel, the world doesn't believe you. And then he said, but they will, mm. but it will be too late. Wow. That quote was just. Wow. And, and uh, people want to know about the girls of Garden Medell. Uh, um, uh, St. Teresa believed in it, she said, and Padre Pio was highly into them, too. So, folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. We're just, I don't know, breaking into the most consequential reality of this day, of this moment. Uh, at the close of 2020, when so many cataclysmic things have been playing out, whether you're a believer or not, just look at the paper, look at what's unveiling around us. Do we not recognize some consequential things happening? Tonight we've endeavored to try to communicate maybe the theological, the spiritual heart of that. What is God saying to us? If we call upon the name of the Lord, that Latin root of Lord is literally dome, is in to have dominion. If we believe that he has dominion, uh, are we availing to that dominion? Are we, are we listening to what he's saying and responding? Drew had said tonight, number one, go and have a consequential confession, uh, sharing everything. Hold back. As priest said to me, if you say anything that I haven't heard before, I'll give you $1,000. There's nothing we're going to say that uh, is going to shake them. Um, come radically before God and seek that. Um, seek his grace and mercy in that awesome sacrament. I'm going to say number two, if you don't have a daily prayer life, start. You know, uh, what 20 minutes is more consequential in your day than encountering God, of hearing his voice speak through scripture, of uh, offering him your heart, of praying for the grace uh, to live fully the life that he calls us to have. We invite all those united with us to do this Regnum Christi daily meditation. Basically, it's the daily reading. It's the gospel with very short reflections that really make it come alive. Um, By the way, you can find out all these basic things at Pentecost365.us. Uh, I would describe it as sort of the seven fundamental ways we as Catholics can receive grace outpoured in our lives. Seven fundamental ways God is offering us grace outpoured. I want to be united in that. I want to be united with you who are hearing this right now with with, uh, men and women, marriages and families, coming before God, repenting, which means to turn, to seek his grace, to, to recommit our homes, our lives to him and his kingdom. This is the opportunity that we have right now. I don't know if we'll have it tomorrow or next week or next month, but this is the opportunity we have right now to seek his grace and to pursue the kingdom. Drew, so blessed for you to take the time in the midst of your busy day for us to share a little bit of our conversations between two of us. Uh, Usually there's many more, but to share the uh, conversation, the likes of which we've been having frequently. And uh, folks, if um, this speaks to you, please share it. Please share it with uh, others who you know will benefit from it and who you can be kindred with in it. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello, friends. Greg Schleter here. I just want to take a moment and just be really honest with you and share my heart. Gosh, what extraordinary times we're living in right now. Looking over the past months and year, do we not all recognize that something extraordinary has been going on? Something that has been challenging and testing us to our very core. And uh, I'm taking a time right now just to be vulnerable and candid with you all. Uh, Stephanie and I, rarely do we make an appeal over radio for mission support. I mean, who really likes to do that? I'm not good at it. It's uncomfortable. It's uh, it's humbling, but I'm moved to do so right now. So this radio program has been running now. It's amazing for over five years on a weekly basis. 
You may not know that Ignite Radio Live corresponds to our mission at MassImpact.us. More than merely a message, as we've often said, we're about a movement. The heart of civil unrest is what's happening with the family. We're all about marriage and family revival. We believe it so much that seven years ago, we went all in. I had a successful multimedia and marketing business at the time. You've heard me speak of this and uh, it truly was amazing and I loved it, but the Lord just kept prompting me, Greg, I give you these gifts and right now I want you to trust in me. I want you to devote them to building the kingdom, particularly within the Catholic church. So we responded to that call and uh, devoted everything to building up solid marriages and families. Now, what's amazing is seven years ago, we really didn't know anybody to this day Truly, we are supported by no more than 50 people, which is quite incredible because over the past seven years, literally hundreds of thousands have been impacted by our radio, our audio, visual, and social media. Thousands have participated in our events, including Ignites, Presents for Christmas, Ablaze, Mission One, Marriage Retreats, the Family Road Trip. In fact, in the midst of the COVID cancel culture, even prior to the George Floyd, we were praying and saying, Lord, what are you asking us to do in these circumstances? And we initiated this thing called OneHeartOneCity.us. What's that? Well, an invitation to break out in public places and simply be the presence of God. To date, we've had over 12 different events with tremendous impact that we've shared over these radio waves. You can experience some of that at OneHeartOneCity.us, the lives that have been impacted. At the heart of all of that, hundreds of families, literally hundreds, have responded in earnest by embracing weekly live it gathering times in their homes using this gathering guide that we kick out every week. So we've been very blessed to have this story shared through national media, through EWTN, National Catholic Register. Here's the thing. None of what I just shared with you is compensable. It's not a typical business where there's a product. We don't charge money. We feel a lot like um, Peter and the apostles. Where else are we to go, Lord? You've given us this conviction of the truth of our nature of the kingdom. How can we not be instruments of it? In some, it's always been about an us. We trust in God's sustaining grace through the generosity of people like you. So here we go. Right now, I invite you to please partner with us in this mission. Please consider being a monthly partner or making a one-time gift. Right now, I'm speaking to those of you who share with us a heart of urgency for the kingdom right now. Please go to massimpact.us and click on the donate button. Again, go to massimpact.us and click on donate. Above all, please pray for us in this mission and be assured of our daily fervent prayers for you. Thank you so much. God bless.